You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Uh, if we've not met, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, let me just welcome you and <clears throat> say it's a joy to have you with us. We're really glad that you would come and worship with us. We hope you feel welcome um, by us, and we hope you feel the welcome of the Lord, uh, that he would speak to you today and, uh, and, and change your life in, in some powerful way. So thanks for being here. Uh, we are in a sort of a brief five-week study on missions. So our, our, our ministry year has started. We kind of run our ministry year like a school year. Things kick off and. Uh, August and September, and uh, then kind of regular stuff we do kind of wraps up in May, and then we do some different stuff in the summer. So we're in a, in a time and a rhythm of our life where we're looking into this next year, and we've talked about an, a- an annual theme for this year. So we always have a theme to our ministry year, and our annual theme this year is discovering our place in God's mission discovering our place in God's mission. And so we're kind of doing a basics. 101 means basics. So we're doing introductory mission, mission 101, uh, sort of the building blocks. It's a building block series. You see the building blocks on the screen there. There's something we are building upon that we are stepping upon into God's mission for his church. And so today I want to start by asking the question, what is God's mission for the church? What is God's mission for the church? I mean, there's a lot of ideas. You could poll a group of Christians. You could poll this room, I'm sure, and get a variety of ideas. Is, is God's mission for the church to love people or to glorify God or to care for the needy, build community maybe? Maybe it's to be faithful in all of our callings in life. Or maybe the mission of the church is to worship God in all that we do. Maybe the mission of the church is to preach the Word and pray. Word, prayer, sacrament. It's worshiping Him as a people. Maybe that's our purpose, our mission. Maybe the mission is to to hand the gospel off to the next generation. Maybe the mission is to preach the gospel faithfully. Maybe the mission is the urgent task of taking the gospel to unreached people all across our globe. Well, before we talk about what our mission is, I'd like to ask the question behind the question and ask, what is a mission? Before we ask, what is the mission of the church? We need to know, what do we mean when we say the word mission? Now, the word mission comes from a Latin word, and maybe you've seen it. It's used sometimes. The the Latin word is missio, so you do see that sometimes. Uh, And missio, the the word mission means to send. That's what it actually means, to send. So in the strictest sense of the word, the mission of the church has something to do with the sent nature of the church. And so if we want to see where God uh, gives the mission of the church, we probably do well to find one of the passages, and there's a number of them, where God is sending his people And uh, we typically call that the Great Commission, and that's what I want to talk about today from Matthew 28. You can turn there if you have a Bible or your device. And I want to ask this question today, what makes the Great Commission great? So last week, Bob gave us 
sort of an overview of the purpose of God throughout eternity. Uh, That's a pretty broad scope. Uh, And he showed us the mission of God, you know, um, in, in in the different epochs of time, we could say, through creation and fall and through redemption, which we're living through now, and through the ultimately the uh, restoration of all things in a new heaven and new earth. So he went very broad. I'm going to focus very narrowly today, and uh, both of these messages are a little bit probably kind of vision, big picture. Uh, Bob was probably 30,000 feet. I'm probably about 10,000 feet, and the next three messages will be on the ground. Uh, There'll be a little bit more application in the next three messages, but in this passage called the Great Commission we see God's sending his church first with 11 disciples and then uh, ultimately to us. So the, uh, the disciples get the commission and the church uh, fo- following them finishes the work. So here it is, God's word to us, uh, commonly called the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Let's listen to God's holy word uh, as he sends his church. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and in earth, on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to look at three sections of this passage of Scripture in trying to answer why is the Great Commission great. Because there's three great things in this section. And the first thing is, we have a great king. The first truth here is that we have a great king. When we think about the mission of the church, even when I flashed up there, it's, it's up there now, when they flashed up there the words Great Commission, we instantly move to, yeah, what, what is the mission? What, is, what did he commission us to do? What, what is the plan? What are we supposed to do? And that gets some people very excited because it's something to do. Other people instantly, some of you in the room, are starting to check out right now because you're ready to feel guilty, you're ready to feel like a failure, you're ready to feel like uh, I'm not good at this. Um, And so we often have differing reactions because we think about ourselves. But here's here's a reality of this passage, which is true of all the Bible and all Uh, all reality, is that it doesn't start with us. It starts with Jesus. He doesn't start with, go get them. He starts with, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He starts with a statement of his rule. He starts with a statement of his reign. Before we get a great commission, we get a great announcement that Jesus is in charge, that he rules and reigns and exercises dominion over all. We start with authority. It's important that we get authority right. Years ago, when my kids were little, my kids are all grown now, 
Um, but when they were little, we were with this, uh, we were at somebody's house. I don't, it was years ago. We lived in California and we were at somebody's house. They had a bunch of people from the church over and our kids were hanging out with other kids in the house. And, um, so I, I didn't observe what I'm about to tell you, but it was reported to me afterwards. Uh, there was a room where they had a pool table and adults were playing pool and children were watching adults play pool except one of my children. For one of my children had taken it upon uh, himself to uh, move pool balls, to pick up pool balls, to roll pool. Now, he was five years old. He wasn't 15, but he was five years old, and it decided it'd be fun to sort of move the pool balls around. They roll while people are playing. So in that room with adults and children watching, adults playing, and one child doing what he should not be doing, there was another pastor in the room. So we had a team of pastors, and one of our pastors was in the room. I wasn't, and he went over to my child and said, please don't uh, play with the balls because we're trying to play a game, and when we're done, you can play later. To which my five-year-old looked this pastor, this shepherd, this faithful man of God in his eyes and said, you are not the boss of me. (laughs) Now, later... After that was reported to me, he did meet with his boss, which was me, and we sorted out that situation. But he had a problem. He knew mom and dad were his boss, but who is this guy telling him what to do? Uh, Just a shepherd of his soul, but he didn't recognize this as an authority, uh, an adult in the room telling him what to do. And in this situation here, the reality is we need to come to grips with who is in charge. The great problem on planet Earth, the reason for all the suffering, all the hurt, all of the harm and difficulty in relationships on planet Earth is because by nature, people look to God and say, you're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me and I'll do what I want to do. But Jesus here comes and says, look, I'm the boss of everybody. I'm the authority over everyone and everything. And so before he sends them, he reminds them of this great truth about his power. One author said that this is the loftiest claim ever made in world history. No one has ever claimed anything greater. How can you claim anything greater than everything in the universe is under my authority. That's what Jesus wants to get his, uh, his uh, followers to see. And this isn't a new idea. It's in the Old Testament. It says that one will come who will rule and reign. Jesus introduces his whole ministry with this idea. In Mark 1, he starts his ministry by saying, um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he says that from the minute beginning. He talks about the kingdom of God more than he talks about anything else. And he not only teaches the kingdom of God, that a king would come, that a king is, will rule, that the king is present, that the kingdom of God is present in Jesus. So repent, turn to him, and believe the good news. But he demonstrates the kingdom of God as well. So what's going on in what the Bible calls the signs of the ministry of Jesus is that they are pointing somewhere. 
And the signs and wonders that he does point to the fact that he is the king who rules over all, who rules over every aspect of creation. So when he heals a body, it's out of compassion to heal a person, to be sure, but it's also to demonstrate he rules over human bodies. When he, uh, when he pronounces forgiveness, has the audacity to tell someone they're forgiven, he rules over human souls. And as God, the one who rules over all the universe, he has the power to forgive. He, he demonstrates he rules over the elements. When he stands up in a boat and there's a storm on the sea and he speaks, peace be still, and the storm stops, he reveals not just that he could do a cool weather trick. He's revealing, I rule over creation. The disciples say, wow, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He rules over the devil when he expels demons from oppressed people. What's going on there is he's demonstrating he is the king who rules over Satan and his forces. He is reversing the curse, the curse that comes at the fall in Genesis 3. And he ultimately reverses the curse by becoming a curse. He dies on a cross taking our place, the curse that is to be ours. He dies in our place, experiences the judgment of God. He is God and experiences the judgment of God for our sin as he dies. And then he is raised from the dead, demonstrating he is the king who rules over death itself. And now he's standing in a resurrected body before this group of followers, and he is announcing that he is the king, and he is commissioning them to, uh, to fulfill his mission by extending his kingdom. And he says, now all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Now, it's not that he has more power than he had before. He's always been God. But the difference is now, he's not walking around in a body. So he's not walking around and saying, you know, I heal you, uh, storm be still, I cast out a demon here, I do a miracle of providing uh, bread and, and fish over here. He's, he's, his, his rule is not confined to where he stands. He is exalted to the right hand of God, and he now has all authority to rule everything. He is, he is omnipresent, ruling all things, starting with these believers whom he is sending out to extend his reign to extend his rule. He not only rules over all things, but we could also say he rules over his people. His presence is uniquely experienced. His kingdom is uniquely experienced among his people. And now he is sending his people out. There's a passage of Scripture that captures this reality in such a stunning way. It's a passage that talks about how Jesus rules over all the universe, but he rules over all the church, and that his presence is with us. So it's helpful to think about that as he is commissioning and sending. The reality is he's sending people who represent him, who are his hands and feet, who carry his spirit, and who carry the message of good news. Um, That passage is in Ephesians 1, verses 22-23. And Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. It's called the, The Message. I've not read it all. But this passage of everything I've read is my favorite uh paraphrase that that uh, that he's written as a wordsmith which really captures the idea uh, of the text Uh, this is it Ephesians 1 20 through 30 God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven 
in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. If we could leave that slide up for just a moment. That is a very powerful truth that Jesus is exalted and rules over all the world, that he uniquely rules at the center through his church. So the center of his purposes are found in his church, which is his body, his people, and he speaks and acts in his body and through his body, and he fills everything with his presence through his people. For as we gather, He is present, we are the temple of God, but the Scripture also speaks about us individually being temples of God as well, that we bear His presence, and as we go into the world, we bear His message of good news, the announcement that He is King, and that He is not only the King, but the Savior King, who has died on a cross and given His life, that through faith in Him, we might have our sins forgiven and receive eternal life, that He's been raised from the dead to defeat the power of sin, that He's poured out His Spirit upon us. Now the Spirit of God lives in us, and He sends us out as His representatives, Paul calls us, His ambassadors of reconciliation, His children. We are His body, and He speaks and acts through us on Sunday morning, absolutely, but as we go as well. Now, if we get this, that the mission of the church starts with all authority is given to me. That, that his authority is a king on a throne. That he has empowered us, that he's ruling through his church and sending us uh, to speak and act as his representatives. And that we carry his word, we carry his message, we carry his very presence as we go. If we really got that, that Jesus is executing his mission to display his glory, to reveal his love, to love people and call them to himself through his good message, his good, his good news message that he has given us his presence. If we really got that, how would our Monday mornings look and feel different? Got to go to work again. Another day of school, waking up, one more day with the kids. Kids, your parents love you. I'm just giving an example. I, I said that. Your parents never said that. But As opposed to, I'm commissioned by the ruler of all the universe who does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, for his glory, my good, and my good. And he has sent me. How would that affect the way I approach my work for the day? How would it the quality of my work? How would it affect the words I use, my speech, both actual speech and digital speech? How would it affect what I post and what I text? How would it affect how I take initiative towards others, 
not just some random person in the neighborhood, not just some dude in the office. I'm commissioned by the God who rules over everything and intends to extend his kingdom on this block and in this office and to this family through me. What a profound privilege. What a sobering reality. What a a vision of a change of life. If I saw myself commissioned by his authority, how would it affect my approach to the person who's marginalized, to the person who's rejected and hurting? It's not just, well, it's too bad for that person. Maybe, Maybe I'll throw up a prayer for them. I'm the representative of Jesus in the room. One of them anyway. How would it affect? How would it affect us as a church when we gather? If we thought we're brought together by the king in his presence here, that he is speaking and acting in our midst through his word. And he is empowering us to love one another. He's given us his word, his spirit, this community. He's called us to worship him. It would add a different level of priority and value and dignity to what we're doing right now. But it would also add a different level of value and uh, you know, purpose to what we do when we scatter here in a few minutes as well and go into our weeks. Well, some of us say, well, yeah, that's great, but he gave this commission to the disciples. They lived with him three years. They saw his miracles. They had one-on-one training and discipled by Jesus himself. So it's easy to say that's for them. Yeah, you go and, you know, you take the commission to the nations and the the word. You, You fulfill the commission, but I'm just little old me. Hey, don't miss what Jesus gives us in his word here to introduce. This isn't the powerful disciples. Uh, Look what it says. Now the 11 disciples, whoa, whoa, there were 12. But the people that lived with Jesus and saw him in the flesh, they didn't all make it to the finish line. This isn't, wow, the 11 who never sinned, never asked a stupid question, never rejected Jesus, never failed. No, the, the, the whole story of the disciples, it's a connection of failures until the Spirit comes and fills them, basically. And look what else he says. They get, come to the mountain, to, uh, verse 16, to which Jesus had directed them, and they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is not the powerful, amazing disciples. The resurrection body of Jesus is there present speaking to them, and some of them are wrestling with doubts. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I doubt sometimes. I, I'm not consistent sometimes in my faith. Uh, I get mad at God. I'm not consistent in my quiet times. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm up and down. I, I'm, not, I'm not that faithful. How could God ever use me as a witness? They're standing before the resurrected Christ, and they don't have their act together. They're doubting. You think God can't use you? Now, to be fair, they're going to get filled with the Spirit in Acts 2, and that they're going to get bold. There, there is some, something happens after this. But that's the reality. The, the picture is, this is the, it's not to be, the disciples are amazing taking the gospel to the world. It's to be the disciples are a mess, but Jesus rules over all. He is the authority. He has control of everything, and he sends people who are a mess. 
to go fulfill his purposes. It's about Jesus. It's about his authority. We have a great king. And that's really, that's the biggest point I want to make today. Most of the time we think about Grace Commission, it's go. But I want to emphasize today, all authority in heaven and earth. Get a vision of that, and your going will be much different. Number two, we have a great calling. We have a great king. We have a great calling. Look at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, therefore. Well, we're supposed to go, and the therefore connects to the announcement of his authority. He has died, resurrected, and he's standing before them and sending them. Now, this text has one verb, this little passage I read, uh, it it has, uh, in the original language, it has one verb, and it has three participles that sort of connect to that verb. Uh, So the three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. But there's only one verb, and that is, in verse 19, make disciples. Make disciples. So the way uh, the original language functions is it says, make disciples... As you go or going, baptizing, teaching. But the command, the mission, what what the church is sent to do is make disciples. So we must ask, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, um, a student. Uh, More than that, it's a follower, a follower. So the way sort of it worked in Jesus' day is someone who wanted to be serious about their faith would apprentice themselves uh, to a rabbi, and you would actually refer to yourself as, you know, part of the school of whatever, uh, so it wouldn't be necessarily your local synagogue, but it would be, I'm, I'm part of uh, the school of Rabbi Ben so-and-so, whatever it is, whatever his name is. So this is people who are uh, apprenticing under Rabbi Jesus. So he's got disciples who are follow him, and it wasn't just sort of uh, like taking, you know, a random class. It was a, a life apprenticeship. So you, your, your mentor, your rabbi, your teacher taught you, modeled, gave you hands-on experience, and uh, you molded your life after following his example. And so a disciple is someone who submits, in this case, to Jesus. And Jesus is not just saying, I'm a teacher pointing you to God. He is that. But he's saying, I am God. I have all authority. So the apprentices of Jesus are those who submit themselves wholly to him as their king. In a book called Seek First, which we have outside by the coffee area, I'd recommend you pick it up and read it. It's written by a guy named Jeremy Treat. And Treat writes the following. He says, to be saved into the kingdom of God is to have God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of life. This is a far cry from merely asking Jesus into my heart. It means a new life, a new identity, a new kingdom. See, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has a new life. The Bible says that we are to be born anew, that the Holy Spirit gives us new life and dwells in us. It's not just I I subscribe to a new set of beliefs and values and rules. It's that I'm a new person. The Bible says a new creation. Someone exists here that's new. The Spirit of God lives in me. So it's a new life. Uh, It's a new identity. 
where my fundamental identity is child of God, child of the Father, disciple of Jesus. Disciple's not a varsity Christian, someone who's advanced. Disciple is a Christian, someone who has Jesus as Lord. And he said, a new kingdom. So we have a new life, a new identity, and now we live under the reign of God with a new kingdom, a new purpose. We were living under the kingdom of me. We were, and I was on the throne. Uh, it was the kingdom of me, I'm on the throne, and I'm ruling all, saying, God, you're not the boss of me. But now I'm saying, Jesus, you are the boss of everything, and I'm submitted to your rule and your reign. And you are present with us as your people. That's his kingdom. It's God's, it's God's reign through his people. We saw Ephesians 1, and in his place, where he is places. That's how Treat describes it. God's, God's uh, rule uh, through God's people in God's place. And so this is, what we, uh, that, this is what it means to be a disciple. Make disciples. Make people who are connected to Jesus as their Lord, and the connection comes through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, the good news, the gospel. So what does the process of making disciples look like? Well, first, Jesus says that he calls us to make disciples as we go. Now, I know the NIV, I'm sorry, the ESV, NIV too, uh, translates that go. It's a, and, and it would be perhaps most literally, generally uh, translated as going or as you go. And so some people really emphasize that it means going. Some people really emphasize that it means go. And uh, there are reasons for both. And the application's quite different. And uh, so which is it? I feel strongly both ways. And so I'm going to explain both are true. But it certainly means it's a, it's a participle. And it means going. So Jesus tells his disciples, as you are going, as you are on your way, as you are moving about your life, make disciples. Now, this is so important because we think of making disciples as something, some radical thing. If it's just go to the nations, just like a few missionaries do that, and we, we drop a check in the box every so often to support them. But we think that's, that's what the Great Commission is. It's just in another land, in another place, among another group of people. But he's saying, as you go, which is in my land, in my place, among my people, that we walk out the Great Commission as we go. Who are the people I'm connected to? Who are the people in my neighborhood? As Fred Rogers would sing, lead us to sing, Who am I, who's around me? That's my place to extend the kingdom of God. Uh, where are the places I go? Those are the locations where I extend the message of Jesus. And it's a natural outflow of our lives. It's part of the natural rhythm. This is why I love the truth that the participle would literally be as you go, because it means that it's a part of everyday life. As you go out of here in a few minutes, as you go to a restaurant or to your home to have lunch, as you go to the park this afternoon for some leisure time, as you go to work tomorrow, as you go to the kitchen to prepare a meal for the children, as you go to school tomorrow, as you go to the gym 
to what, where's the, where are you going? Who are you with? What are the places? That's where it occurs. It doesn't mean it can't be formal. We can have a fat notebook and sit together at Starbucks and go through it. That's discipling people. That's making someone a disciple. We can, obviously, we can have appointed moments. We can have appointed times. But it's ultimately a life-flowing a lifestyle. It overflows out of our lives as we go to community group, as we go to soccer practice, whatever we are doing. The Great Commission, we, we must be gripped first of all by his authority and secondly by the reality that it's not just for missionaries in foreign lands. It is, but not just for missionaries in foreign lands, but it's for me as I go, which means I'm a missionary as well which means I'm a missionary as well, as you go. Now, let me say something about go, the verb, and does it mean a change of location? For some people, it does. As you read the, as you read the New Testament, you don't read Paul writing to the Corinthians and saying to them, everyone relocate for the Great Commission. He doesn't tell them that, but some do. You know, Acts 1 says there's going to be an extension of the mission. It's from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. So there is movement. Some people are called to go to another location and bring the gospel. And that's a beautiful thing. And we want to, we want to be a part of that, celebrate that, support that. But could I add this one thought? Once you buy a plane ticket and you go to a new location and you're there, then guess what the Great Commission is? As you go, as you go to the market, as you go uh, to the school, as you go to your work, whatever you're doing. So the difference in a foreign missionary and you is a plane ticket. Maybe some language learning, maybe writing support letters, maybe more suffering, honestly. Uh, But the reality, the difference is a plane ticket. Once they get there, it's all as you go. When Paul goes to uh, to Ephesus, he doesn't stay there five minutes. I went, Lord. Everybody believe in Jesus, move on. He stays there for a while, and he's unusual. It's unusual that someone has serial uh, relocations. So here's the way to think about the Great Commission. Some are called to relocate. Everybody's called to participate. And once you relocate, it's as you go. So which does it mean? It does mean go because it says reach the nations. And praise God, they went, because if they didn't, none of us are sitting here. If all they did was as you go in Jerusalem, none of us are here. Praise God they went. Praise God that people have gone through the years. Praise God that people are still going. And let's get behind that 110%. But once you go, it's as you go. You're located somewhere. You have people and you have a place. That's why I say it's both. It's both because you go, they went to the nations, but once you're there, it's as you go. How do we make disciples? Well, he doesn't really answer that. We've got three more practical messages coming up over the next three weeks, uh, and we'll get a little bit more about that. Yesterday, we trained, had a training session for all the small group leaders in the church. And in that, Caleb showed a very helpful diagram about three ways that we live out the Great Commission. And he, he talked about how we do it through our stewardships, which is all that we do in life. So as you go, it's living faithfully, following the Lord, uh, doing our normal life with intentional awareness that we do it for the king and an eye on other people looking for need. So we do it through our daily life, through whatever our responsibilities are. 
Number two, we do it through serving. So we're looking for other people. We're looking for needs. We're looking for opportunities to express the love of God to those around us. And thirdly, we do it for, for, through spoken word that we give a testimony about what's the world really like? Who created this? What's the problem with the world because of the fall? What's the answer to the fall? Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in his death and resurrection. And where's it all going to? It's not always going to be this way. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth with Jesus reigning in person. And, uh, and that's our hope. So it's sharing the gospel with people. It's not one of those. It's all of them. It's, it's living a lifestyle that's faithful to be salt and light in my world. It's serving and loving others just as Jesus washed feet and sacrificed for others. He sacrificed for us so we're called to do the same, and it's giving a verbal message to others, especially uh, those in we come in contact with as we do our daily life and as we serve others. When someone believes in Jesus, then it says they are baptized, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they are baptized And baptism means being uh, placed in water and raised out of the water. It is identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's not only that, it's acknowledging that I have a new king. That that part about under the water, which is only momentary, but that part right there means I died. And I'm raised to walk in new life with a new identity in a new kingdom following a new king. And so it really is a radical beginning to the new life in Christ. We stand, first of all, confessing our faith before believers in baptism and then confessing our faith to the world. Once they believe, I'm moving fast through these, once they believe, we teach them. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So part of being a disciple is not only someone touched my life as they were going, um, or they invited me into something, even a worship service, something like that. But then it's also helping one another grow as we meet Christ, growing in him. So his commission isn't just get them to believe and drop them. It's get them to believe by his power, by his grace, through his message, the good news of the gospel. They receive new life. They're baptized as an initiatory act into that new life. And then they learn and grow so that as they go, they make disciples who meet Christ, are baptized, join to a community of faith where they are taught um, what it means to obey all that Jesus commanded so that then they go. It's a cycle that goes on and on to reach the world. Now, when we think about teaching others to obey all that Jesus commanded, obviously that's a role of what happens behind this pulpit. It's happening right now. It's happening in children's ministry. But it, it's, it's to happen in all of our lives. Sometimes discipling sounds so intimidating. I can't do that. I wasn't discipled. I don't know enough. Um, you know, nobody's going to ask me any things about Jesus. How can I disciple someone else? There's a book on discipleship called Disciple by um, Mark Dever. And he takes the idea of discipling others and he really puts it on the bottom shelf so that we all can reach it. We can all participate. Everybody gets to play when we talk about discipling. This is what he writes. Discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will become more like Christ. It is, what can I do today? Lord, as I'm going, I'm going to interact with other Christians too. So what can I do to help them follow Christ as believers? How can I teach them to obey all that you've commanded? Well, I could give them a book. 
I could share with them something God spoke to me. I could pray for them and communicate that to them. I could text them some type of encouragement that I'm alongside them today. I could follow up on what they shared at community group this week and spur them on as they're seeking to endure what they're walking through this week. Anything I can do to serve someone else, to help them follow Christ is part of the discipling process. Now, it may be more specific. It may be more structured to be sure, but everybody can do this. Everybody can teach others to obey all that he's commanded in community. So we have a great king. We have a great calling as you go. Go as you go, both um, teaching, disciple, uh, teaching and baptizing. And then lastly, we have a great promise. The mission doesn't end with a command. I love this. It ends with a promise. It ends with a promise. People feel guilty because we think it, ends with, we think it starts with a command. It ends with a command. And there's all command in between, and it's all about me. But he starts with his authority. He ends with a promise of his presence and calls us to do something that he will help us do in the middle. Look what he says. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love how Jesus structures the Great Commission. It is a grace sandwich. It is a Jesus sandwich, however you want to say it. You know, we start with he is in authority, he rules over all, and I'm sending you. So then he tells us as we go, some are going to relocate to new places. The majority will live where they are. And as you go through your daily life, as you are going, live your normal life dependent upon him, aware that you're sent, living under his authority with a grand vision that he's extending the kingdom through your life. So live intentionally, look for opportunities, pray, be faithful in your callings to give testimony to the glory of God. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Be ready to serve, be ready to reach out, be ready to love. Just as you do your normal stuff, do it with a gospel intentionality. And then he's going to be with you always. He's going to be with you as you go through your life. He's going to be with you when you get asked a hard question. He's going to be with you when you're afraid to speak up. He's going to be with you when it feels mundane and you don't think you're accomplishing anything. He's going to be with you at all times. It's such an encouragement. The last words of Matthew's gospel that Jesus gives is, I'm with you. Don't worry. Don't fear. Don't check out. Don't give up. I am with you. And it's even better than that. I am in you elsewhere in the New Testament we read. How good is that? You know, uh, I read a quote this week that was very helpful. A a guy named Craig Keener, an author, said, if many Christians today have lost the sense of Jesus' presence and purpose among us, it may be because we've lost sight of the mission of our Lord has given us. I thought, boy, that's really well said. Many times we're aimless. We feel like I've lost my purpose. We feel like, what am I doing? I'm not making any difference for the king and for the kingdom. And oftentimes that's because we've lost this sense of his presence with us. We've lost a sense of the purpose we have with his rule and his sending us. And it's when we look to him, what's his mission? What's he doing? How can I get in on that by humbling myself and asking him to fill my heart and open my eyes in my daily life, all of a sudden you feel your purpose restored. You got a reason to get up in the morning. You got a purpose in your day. You got a purpose for the mundane. 
There's a sense of, I'm doing, God's called little old me to do something glorious, the greatest thing happening on the planet. I was thinking about what if we all got that as a church? We're a small church relatively. We're certainly not a mega church. But there's enough people in our church that if we could see two things, this is what Kingdom Extension's about, places and people. If we could see all the places that we scatter to, we would see, wow, the reach of our little church, the potential for God to use us to share the good news, to spread it, it goes to a lot of places outside Frisco Square. And if we could look at every personal connection we have, if we could do a chart of your life, like you're at the center and the connections come off everywhere you're related to, everybody you work with, everybody on your block, your neighbors that you know, every family on the soccer team, everybody that lives, uh, you know, that, that you engage on a weekly basis through the places that you frequent. And we went beyond that. Everyone in your extended family, everyone that you have known, and that list gets shorter and shorter as I get older because uh, I don't remember them. But everybody you can remember, I'll say to the older ones of us in the crowd, that if we took that web of relationships, we would be astounded. The potential for the presence of God, the message of the good news, the love of Jesus to be extended through our little old church. Because we have a king who rules in authority, and he is with us, and he has strategically placed us where he wants us. So may we embrace that and be a people who aren't doing a thousand new things this week, but are doing what we're doing prayerfully with an open heart and open eyes, taking initiative, ready when God opens the door to represent him. What would happen of the overflow of that? How might that overflow in church planting in the DFW? And how might that overflow in sending someone or someones to the nations to reach people that are unreached? It's great to send someone to the nations, But when the rest of the church is sitting at home thinking, I don't have a part to play, that's not the Great Commission. It's an overflow. It's us owning the mission where he's placed us to overflow to reach others throughout our town, our city, our state, and by God's grace, the world. That's the goal. So get ready. It's going to be a good year. I think the Lord's going to do some exciting stuff this year in expanding our vision for his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we just thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for the calling you've given us. Thank you that it starts and ends with you rule over all, and you are with us. I pray that everyone would walk out of here comforted by that, but also challenged by that to act. We want to be comforted in our fears, but we don't want to be lazy, Lord. We want to be comforted in our fears, and we want to be empowered to step out with intentionality. I pray that as we leave here today, that we don't just sort of file this one away, but that we go to our next thing, aware that you're extending your reach through us to others. Help us with that. Lord, help us to teach one another what it means to follow you. Help us as a people to grow in holiness as we love and serve one another, bringing your word to each other. And we pray that there'd be overflow in our relationships, in our places. And Lord, grant us the great privilege of overflowing through church planting, overflowing through even missions throughout the world. We ask all of this of the great King, 
with great faith. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.